0: Hello, Internet family. This is your host, Shane LeMaster, with Conversations of the Mind podcast. I want to start by welcoming all of our listeners. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Welcome to the conversation. If you're a return listener, I want to say thank you. Uh, for your liking and your sharing our podcasts, and for your continued listenership. It really is because of you guys that we get this word out and that we can broach these topics and expand the conversation to many, many more people. Uh, together, we can reach a lot more people on social media than myself alone, so I want to continue to thank you for liking and sharing. And for those of you who have been visiting our YouTube page, uh, the MindOps YouTube page, um, Thank you again for going and checking out our videos on there as well and liking and sharing those as well and subscribing to the channel. That's awesome to see the engagement, uh, the level of engagement with people with the topic of uh, consciousness. So thank you very much. I also want to thank everyone who has been donating to the podcast. We've gotten a couple great donations in and I just want to let everyone know that if you like the content. Please feel free to donate all the proceeds. Go back into the show to make the message more clear uh, for you all. I don't take any profits from the podcast. Um, All the ad revenue that we generate as well goes towards upgrading our systems, whether that be on our laptop or microphones or uh, studio or whatever. Um, Eventually, we're going to use all the money to do that and pump, pump it right back into you guys' Uh, because that 's why we 're doing that we 're doing that we 're doing this for you guys, so thank you very much for donating. If you do want to donate, there should be a link right at the bottom of whatever podcast app you 're using so just check it out, click on the link, and feel free to donate even a dollar uh, makes a big difference so uh, thank you very much. I want to let everyone know that we are sponsored by my private practice counseling and consulting company, MindOps. You can reach us at mindops.com. That's www.mind-ops.com. We're a mobile and eclectic counseling and consulting company, and we sp- have a number of specializations in um, general psychotherapy, psychedelic integration therapies, sport and performance psychology, and addiction counseling, and also hold uh, licensures and certifications in a number of those areas. Uh, We can provide services uh, one-on-one at a distance through telephone or um, a visual chatting app um, or Uh, And because we're a mobile unit, we can come to your location as well. So if you are in need, if you're a a coach for a team or a business owner and you want us to come in and and help optimize the, the mental performance of your athletes or your coworkers or your employees, feel free to reach out to us at the website and you can find out more about what we do over there. So please check that out. Also, again, check out our YouTube channel, the MindOps YouTube channel. Uh, That's where we upload a number of videos that break down a lot of these topics that we talk about here on the podcast in greater depth. So go check that out. We're constantly uploading more and more videos as well. I have also uh, managed to save um, a number of playlists that are um, open to the public on a number of different topics from um, all sorts of, different philosophers and, and, um, uh, cool sources. So go check that out for further resources. Um, I want to get into the good news story of the day and our good news story comes from the good news network. And the name of the article, uh, reads when parents accidentally lock keys in their car with infant daughter, group of inmates offer their skills. And, uh, this was particularly interesting to me because I used to work um, as a therapist in the local jail here, and found that working with the in- inmates was very uh, gratifying and very humbling. Um, you meet some great people who just happen to get the wrong side of the of life, and um, you know you can help them rebuild their lives. And I found great value in that. And so when I came across this article, it just stood out to me because of my experience with that. And and what happened was uh, this woman who was visiting the jail um, accidentally locked her infant in the back seat and she couldn't afford uh, the, the tow service to come out and open her door for her. Uh, so the sheriffs were getting ready to break the window in with a rock as um, sometimes sheriffs will do. And, uh, the inmates um the trustees as they're called uh usually they're they're wearing different clothes and they're trusted to do you know chores around the jail um sometimes up in the front lobby so there were a group of 5 of them and they offered their services um I'm using air quotes here they offered their services and they came and managed to get the door unlocked um without having to call anybody or spend any money so they're putting their skills back to good use and that was one of my favorite things Uh, about working with the inmates in the jail and and with anybody who, you know, comes from a rough background is helping people identify that they do have really important skill sets that are transferable um, in very positive and helpful ways uh, if we just get a little more creative and and kind of take ourselves out of our normal ways of thinking. So a really cool example of how these inmates use their skills that they, they may have gained on the street to help a woman in trouble and, you know, try and give these guys a better, a better name. They have a poor stigma attached to them. So that's our good news story for today. I want to welcome our guest to the show. Uh, he's been a guest before, uh, Spencer Bath, who go back, uh, a number of episodes and find his, his episode that we did before on his, um, addiction treatments with ayahuasca. Today I want to have, I wanted to have Spencer on the podcast for a different reason, um, Spencer comes from a very interesting and fascinating background for me. Some, he has a, an expertise in an area that I wish I knew more about and hopefully will have more um, information about by the end of this, this chat. Uh, he grew up in horticulture industry. Um, you know, His whole family is deeply rooted within the horticulture uh, industry here in Fort Collins, and so he grew up around it. Um, On his own he spent 20 years in the underground cannabis culture um, growing cannabis for himself and really exploring his his own green thumb in that way and he's published a number of articles on organic and biological growing methods in uh, newspapers as well as Maximum Yield magazine, so you can go check out those articles there, uh, if you, if you're interested in in those things. But that's why I wanted to have Spencer on today, because he has he has a vast knowledge of some of these topics, and I have great interest. Um, and uh, so, welcome back, Spencer. Thanks for having yeah. me. And uh, we'll go ahead and skip the that first question of what Conversations of the Mind means to you, because you've already answered that. Uh-huh. And I hope it's been. Um, I hope the meaning of that has been evolving for you
1: um as time goes on right well let me just uh revisit that real okay yes yeah. for did, sure i did give it some more thought and i was thinking um you know what what is a conversation well that's basically an exchange of words concepts and ideas or it's or it's a uh it's an exchange it's exchange of energy basically sending and receiving energy so you know conversations from the mind from this perspective is um increasing your conscious awareness of where you're sending your energy and where you're receiving energy so mm mm-hmm. so not just in conversation
0: with other people right. you know, sending receiving energy but mm-hmm. you know thinking a little outside the box like sending and receiving we send and receive energy with everything with that everything. we interact with in life uh, everything is technically made of energy right just vibrating energy at a certain frequency so this table that we're sitting at you know. I'm interacting energetically with it right now, um, but I don't have much uh, perceived awareness of that, right? unless I think about it, mm-hmm. unless I think about you know how my energy is affecting other things around me. And some, some of the coolest studies, I think, are um, interaction studies between plants and humans, you right. know, where um, plants can sense uh, human emotion and respond, uh, and that's this has been tested with like really cool sensors and stuff Um, so if a human comes in they tested this a human comes in with an intention to light uh, a plant on fire with a lighter the plant will have uh, like a recoil response or it can communicate with a plant in the other room about this person right and then so the person will go in the other room and the the plant will have already learned from its little compatriot that
1: dangers you know there right yeah that's known as the Baxter effect really yeah Most of those studies were done by Doctor Baxter, and he would hook um, plants up. I think to an EKG. Mm -hmm. Uh, More recently, they can they can see the chemicals moving in plants, the communication chemicals. So, and
0: this uh, I've heard of, um, and I've heard of only theories of the chemical communication between plants um, through. Um, neurotransmitters that are being sent through the air. So a plant will expel them through the leaf system or whatever in the air and can be picked up by um, synaptic, uh, you know, even in humans. Humans can pick these up too. But that's how plants can communicate. But are you referring more to chemical communication through the root systems?
1: Uh, Through the entire plant. But, um, you know, the studies also went on to show plant communication over, you know, vast distances that couldn't be couldn't be conducted through you know chemicals so oh, plant, plant, plants how far a thousand miles or wow it doesn't really matter the distance right huh. is what they determine huh so plants are as humans as all things are communicating on another plane yeah
2: oh
0: yeah well some of the quantum theories talk about that kind of communication right um yeah, superposition and all these things. Yeah, non-locality. That's interesting. I think that's that's such an interesting topic, and I, I hope that the science moves forward on that, like um, the communication between us and plant life organisms. Because um, I think like we think of communication, and most of us think of it as verbal or um, body language or written communication, some kind of visual, but... I think that there's so many more um, other types of communication that we are just unaware of right now as human beings. Like our 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 blinders are on and we're only focusing on the ones that, that we've, um, we've practiced, I guess. But I think there's a lot more. Um, I heard a study that was happening up in the Redwood Forest where um, humans that were walking through the Redwood Forest were experiencing... Um, higher rates of euphoria, reduced anxiety, reduced depressive thoughts, so greater sense of happiness and joy. Um, And I think when they tested these people before and after the walk through the Redwood Forest, they found um, greater activation in the serotonin and dopamine receptors. So it it almost seemed like, um, and I don't know if they tested the actual atmosphere in the the forest, but it seemed like the only way that could happen was if the plants themselves were pumping out these... um, communicating microscopic molecules and then the humans were, were responding to it and communicating with the trees on a, a, an atomic or a molecular level. I thought that was pretty fascinating.
1: Right, right. And you know, nature has a balancing effect on the psyche or I mean, even if the plants weren't emitting physical chemicals with physical properties, there's still an, an energetic pres- presence there. Absolutely. Yeah, so
0: how have you have you seen that in... I mean, you work around plants all the time, right? So right. how have you seen um, your own energy be affected by
1: being around plants? Um, you know, I could somewhat tie that into my addiction because, you know, I started growing very young. I was about 16 when I first started growing cannabis indoors. And, you know, for the first... 10 to 15 years when I was, uh, I'd say healthier, you know, I hadn't entirely given myself over to addiction. Um, you know, I had much more success obviously and more success in the growing. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, everything from plant yields to the business side. So, but, um, as my energetic and emotional and, uh, state you know declined and addiction took over then you know you could you could obviously see it in in the production side
0: so you're saying that because of like the downward spiral of addiction the disconnection that you start to have with yourself and your own energy field you know that that the plants that you were trying to grow and and produce maybe picked up on that right, and responded up, to it right exactly. Yeah. and so i think that that goes right i mean i think you're right on and
1: obviously and you can see it and if you're perceptive and i only know this in retrospect you see it in the plants first before you really see it manifest in your in yourself
0: Almost like a, you could use it as a gauge mm-hmm. to to give you a heads up like red flag your, your plant 's starting to droop, maybe you need to you know get some more sunshine right you know for yourself uh, that 's fascinating um, wow i mean i 've heard of um, I have other friends who who 've grown cannabis and sometimes they talk about i definitely love cannabis growers um, because them more than any other uh, like plant growing specialist um, they always seem to talk about having this relationship with the plant, you know, and like,
1: definitely. Yeah. yeah,
0: Cause I mean, they're checking on it every day. They're like really getting in there and, and looking for bugs and, and um, really, you know, caring for it as if it's like a child and talking to it, playing music for these plants and, and, um, you know, we have studies that show that if you, if you talk positively to plants, they respond positively and, and have higher yields and grow better Definitely. and classical yeah. music does mm-hmm. the same thing and stuff like that. And um, I just, I love pot growers because, uh, because of, they almost um, humanize it, you know, they humanize the plant and, and uh, you know, even if you talk bad
1: about it, they're gonna, they're gonna say, don't say that, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, did you experience that too? Uh, Yeah, and also, you know, there's also the aspect of um, the intricate relationship that cannabis and and man have, you know, since our early dawn, really. Mm -hmm. It was one of the, if not the first, uh, medical plant as well as um, industrial plant. So it, it really is, you know, tied into our DNA. So there is a very intimate relationship. I, cannabis.
0: Yeah, for sure. We, uh, as I saw a map once, and uh, it was the the evolution and travel of humans across the planet over time, and then overlaid was the, the growth and the movement of cannabis plant across the globe over time, and they matched up. Right. Like, cannabis moved with humans. Humans took the seeds with them wherever they traveled because they valued it so much. Yeah, it was and survival, spread, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. spread it across the globe as they expanded, too. Uh, it makes total sense why we would have evolved along with the plant in a symbiotic relationship. Um, I, I got a question for you. So we definitely derive benefit um, with all of our cannabinoid receptors. We derive great benefit from um, the use of these these plants and also for the industrial stuff too. Uh, industrial hemp is extremely valuable. Um, but what do you think is possible, like what do you think we're giving the plant? If it's a if it's a mutually beneficial relationship, what could we possibly be giving the plant that they're, they're benefiting from?
1: Well on the, I mean, firstly I think you have to recognize it's a very giving plant, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't ask a lot back from us. True. But, um, and that's not to say nothing. So what do, uh, what does cannabis receive? I would say, you know, Mental and spiritual energy, primarily, love and attention. Uh huh, and also proliferation. I mean, from a Darwinian perspective, um, it's you know reproducing and mm-hmm. prospering as a mm-hmm. species.
0: And it's beneficial to the plant to have a positive relationship with the. The organism that tends to to propagate its species even further.
1: Yeah, the organism with the opposable thumb.
0: <laughs> right, right. So it's like we need to stick with this guy because he's the one who's going to be planting us. So, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, and uh, just like the communication is an interesting topic, like uh, how communication could be something totally different than we think of. Uh, intelligence also, I think, is something that we are too close-minded about as far as like what we what we think intelligence is you know we we think intelligence and communication and all these things are this way because that's what we do right and um you know screw how the plants you know communicate you know and that's so unfortunate um but intelligence i think that these plants have they definitely have intelligence you know um and you know, like we're talking with cannabis sort of attaching to the human species, you know, it takes some level of intelligence to
1: recognize the importance of that. A high level of intelligence. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's the micro and the macro. If you, if you look at the intelligence of one plant species, it's just opening the door to the intelligence of the entire universe. Mm-hmm. So I think um, understanding that intelligence is, a, is part of conversations with the mind. Because a lot of it's kind of an etheric, um, amorphous mm-hmm. science, if you can even call it that. I think it is right now, for sure. Uh, once science catch ups, catches up, it'll be
0: more scientific, you know. Um, yeah, and you said, you know, learning to communicate with one species of plant can open the door to learning how to communicate better with the universe. I agree. Um in a smaller scale, at least it could help us open the door to learning to communicate with this organism that we live on called earth. Mm-hmm. Um, this living organism that is alive and, uh, always changing, always morphing. Um, you know, it's also called Gaia or whatever. And, um, right now I feel like humans are largely disconnected from, from that organism that we're a part of, you know, it's like we're ostracizing ourselves and, and not allowing ourselves back in the door.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. It's a shame. Hmm. I wonder. I don't know. Ancient traditions have always uh, talked about connecting with nature on a deeper level than, you know, just going camping or something. Um, but that, you know, a lot of their spiritual and religious traditions and ceremonies were based off of. Uh, you know, the cycles of nature, seasons, uh, sun and moon, you know, all sorts of things like that.
1: Right. And I, I tend to think that ancient cultures weren't necessarily primitive by any means. Absolutely not. And, or, or even as far as technolo- technology is concerned. So I think we're finding, I think a lot of history has been hidden and... Um, or lost. Lost. A lot of it's been hidden. why mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> As part of uh, a programming mechanism. Sure. So we intend to deprogram.
0: Yeah. We're in the process of deprogramming. <laughs> the more information we can we can uncover and share, I think the better we're going to deprogram. It's interesting you bring that up. And I know you and I both have like a soft spot for some conspiracy talk. It's interesting to get into. Uh, I just saw a documentary the other day, and it was talking about um, the Vatican records uh-huh. and uh, how... How nobody can get in there to read the Vatican records and, and they went through the whole process of what it takes to get in there and it's insane like you can't even go in there and read something without someone literally standing over your shoulder to make sure you're reading what you said you're gonna read right and uh, they mentioned that some people theorize that um, within that library are uh, not only the church's plans for controlling minds um, And for, like you said, uh, conditioning of of mass populations, but also, uh, like, missing verses uh, from the Bible that disprove a lot of what's being taught, and, uh, like, there's a lot of things that's being hidden, for sure.
1: Or or entire histories have been manufactured.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I think some of the greatest
1: treasures ever discovered have been um, libraries of information. And I think, as you pursue knowledge, it's also important to be ready to let go of things that that you know for that you believe true for a long time and I think it's it's critical to be open minded and really be be able to let go It's so hard though <laughs> how do you do that because you uh it becomes part of our identity, yeah, right it becomes a construct, so that's that can be some of the difficulty in it.
2: Hmm.
0: I mean, it's definitely a concept that I, that I hold near and dear to my heart, but it's challenging mm-hmm. for sure all the time because um, there's new information coming out all the time, and we need to, you know, if we're going to be wise about things, we need to be adaptable to all new information. Um, I was just listening to a podcast today, a debate between these two guys, and both of them were citing um, research research, within the same industry, within the cannabis industry, that were um, only uh, elevating their, their own agenda, mm-hmm. right? So neither one of them were, were citing articles that were countering their point, only cherry picking and citing stuff that was already in their viewpoint. Yeah. And, and it was difficult for them to open up in their
1: conversation to even see the other person's point of view for a split second. Right, that's the problem with confirmation yeah. bias yeah absolutely I mean, once you have an idea you tend to look for information that confirms that mm-hmm. that base so yeah it's something for everybody to be aware of so if this is something that we should learn to get good at right staying open to new information
0: how do we how do we train that how do we get better at doing that
1: um I think one important aspect is um, kind of what you do is is using your right brain using your heart brain mm-hmm. um, Analyzing information not just through deduction and, and your left brain intellect, but using other sources of power to to find truth. hmm It's powerful. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, using things like intuition, right? Um, gut feelings, um, compassion. Other, yeah, other energetic feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love, compassion.
1: Um, yeah, really powerful. People tend stuff. to. Like to find an enemy, so it's it's really part of um, the matrix that we're in. With the you know, you act as a battery. So where you place your attention is really spiritual energy, whether it's a basic topic or you're praying. Either way, it's still spiritual energy, and there are entities that benefit from that energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, in this matrix, we're programmed to. Um, we're programmed in disharmony to argue, to, you know, to to develop uh, negativity, I think. So I think being aware of that um, can further conversations a -hmm. little more. Now, when you speak of
0: programming, um, are you talking like, you know, overt pro- or propaganda? Or are you talking uh, social conditioning, or are you talking programming from before birth? Uh, because from like a Buddhist perspective, uh, while you're in the in between, so um, yeah, I think that's a Stranger Stranger Things uh, reference there, but uh, from that show. But anyway, there's like this space called the Bardo. So after you die, you pass on to this space called the Bardo, and in the Bardo. You get to recount all your past lives, see all the information you've gained over all these thousands of lifetimes, and review your your recent life uh, to see if you learned whatever lesson you sent yourself there to learn. Um, and when you when you're picking your next life, uh, if you're if that's your path to go be reincarnated in the Bardo, is where you sort of construct that. Um, so in Buddhist philosophy, you will pick your parents. Uh, and you 'll pick them for specific reasons because they have to teach you things about yourself you 'll pick your life circumstances and possible choices that you 're going to have to face in order to you know learn a lesson and choose the right way um, and then you 're born you know into this uh, and all your all your memory of setting that up you know uh, setting the stage is erased, uh, which is Kind of weird and unfortunate. that's a whole another topic but so it's erased and then uh, we're you know we're given these choices so in that in that sense it's pre-programming um, but then there's also programming within society uh, you know TV you know, radio all these all these culture yeah. which is a cult sure um, propaganda as
1: well um, but what programming so are you refer to basically um, you know if, if you look at the it's as above so below as within so without so if you have these elements of programming, you know, from culture, from family, from government schools, from corporate propaganda, you're going to find the same thing in the spiritual realm. So uh, deprogramming is kind of a process of moving through both those.
2: Hmm.
0: How, how is something like um, you know, like a cultural, like, I'm, like if I'm conditioned to work 60 hours a week and not complain about it because that's what society tells me I should do um, how does that show up in the spiritual realm? Um, like I guess I don't know what you mean
1: the crossover there well so I guess I would say everything happens in in the spirit realm first Mm. the physical plane is just kind of a mirror of the spirit realm so um, in that sense, you know, all the things that are going on here take you know all, all the uh, political turmoil. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really a reflection of individuals uh, tumultuous relationships with themselves. Mm-hmm. So in, instead of focusing you know externally on you know any number of political situations really the key would be to focus turn that focus internally heal thyself know thyself and then the reflection you know the the external will reflect the internal Uh, i see what you're saying now so it's a
0: spiritual disorder or lack of or uh, yeah lack of connection to the spiritual self or the spiritual realm um lack of connection to the truth about who people are and and um Lack of connection to morals and values and these really important deep things uh, that is manifesting as disorder external and so the solution then is to it 's like a spiritual med- you need to get spiritual medicine mm-hmm. you need you need a spiritual healing um, that focusing on the external stuff although it may look like it 's doing something um,
1: it 's stealing your energy
0: it's stealing your energy and maybe even Perpetuating the same cycle, right? Right, exactly. Uh, Because people don't know how to solve. We don't know how to solve our own physical problems, you know. Yeah. But I guarantee you, the spiritual realm, you know, the spiritual realm has something to offer uh, in in the realm of healing, even in our physical self. Right. That's really cool. Um, Yeah. Have you Have you ever done DMT?
1: Uh, I have once. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Okay. So for me, um, DMT was uh, an eye opener in the sense that. It allowed me to see, okay, so there's these theories out there that um, that have I, I think have actually been proven recently with mathematics that uh, there are up to 11 different dimensions of reality existing simultaneously in the same space we're sitting right now. Okay, so we're in the third dimension, and then there's... Ten other dimensions happening simultaneously. There's entities in those dimensions. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, spirits, angels, whatever you want to say. There's other things going on. We just don't perceive them in our space. Um, But the DMT experience really opened my eyes and gave me a glimpse of our dimension interacting with another dimension simultaneously. Right. So somehow my my perception was opened up. uh, Maybe in my optic nerve, or who knows. My Pineal gland Pineal was opened, leg. and um, I was allowed to take in that data that's always there, but now I could actually perceive it. And um, you know, I would see uh, little gears turning and little green men kind of running around in different patterns and placing molecules where they should be in the room. And I'm kind of like, oh, this is this is interesting. This is all happening underneath the surface of what I perceive as reality, but it's. Got to be real. This seems so real. This is not a hallucination. I feel it, and they're responding to me, observing them. You know, so there's some interaction there, um, and it was just so interesting to, to see how the spiritual realm, is a part of this. You know, we are a part of the spiritual realm. And they're not two separate things. It's not some place that you go. It's not some place that you visit and then come back. It is simultaneous happening right, right here. It's a plane that you're in. Right. And it's just, uh, from what I've read, it's, it's mostly just about figuring out what the, you know, the vibration of that other frequency is and raising your consciousness to that level to access it.
1: And, and as well, as also a process of, I think, detoxing your body in order to, you know, open up and clear all your senses to the perception.
0: So you've done more um <clears throat> work on dieting than I have. I've done dieting for sport performance. Uh you've done some dieting extensively for um you know your ayahuasca ceremonies and right. things like that. And um in those cases, you know, for me I wasn't necessarily targeting enhanced sensation, uh, enhanced perception of sensation, um whereas for you, you know, in those psychedelic experiences, that might be a huge benefit to be able to perceive more accurately. What you're taking into your sensory. So, when you did those diets, did you notice
1: um, improvements? Well, I know um, from my experience that the diets were critical to preventing, you know, nausea and throwing up. Throwing up. So, um, although, especially with ayahuasca, you know, many would say that the purging is part of the process. I think if you think about it, um, you know, the plant's going to work on the physical plane first, and then. Uh, you know the the purging could be a product of a toxic body, and if you can avoid that by detoxing prior, then it will enhance you know the spiritual aspect of of the plant medicine.
0: Yeah, we talked about that before. That if you you know there's different layers to the medicine work, and like you said, uh, you told me you know the first level's physical, second level's mental or something, and the third level's spiritual. Or if I think. Something like that. But you said, yeah, I remember you saying, you know, if you detox the body first, then the medicine doesn't even have to exert any spiritual influence over that level at all because you've already taken care of it. So it's allowed to access, you know, the mental or spiritual levels much more readily, much faster, um, more um, optimized, you know, being able to take more information back if you detox first.
1: Right. Yeah. Because I think the the purging can kind of pull you out of that. Um, you know, that, that spiritual element. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, um,
0: in the times that or I, or
1: when others are purging.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in the times that I do purge and it is rare these days, but in the times that I do purge in those ceremonies, um, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but right after I'm done purging, like it's full on, you know, I'm in my body, right? So I'm not in the spiritual realm. I'm in my body experiencing it. But right when I'm done, boom! Like I blast off, and my mind always opens immensely after that. It's like I just got the toxins out, and now we're past the physical yeah, level. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like right away, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter the medicine, you know. Um, that almost always happens
1: to me. I go right back into a deep state right after that. Yeah, that, I mean that makes sense, that, right? Does that happen to you? Well, I haven't purged on my okay. ayahuasca. Okay, I didn't purge at the last ceremony. I, I started to, but not quite. But it did kind of pull me. Pull me out of um, the, the disembodiment that I was going into. Mm. So it, you know, I don't know if it was toxin based or, or just fear based.
2: Hmm.
0: Probably
1: a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but
0: a healthy fear, a healthy fear. That's cool. Well, so much to so much to talk about. Um, yeah, so back on plants a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've you mentioned to me in our, you know, I've known you for a number of years now. You've mentioned a couple of times uh, the specific term soil science. And like um, you've mentioned a couple of times just how important good soil is for plants. Uh, this is an area that I am not well versed in and I would love to know more about. Um, I recently saw... It was another documentary about organic um, farming. And in the documentary, these guys, I think, were in Hawaii doing um, farming on the land. And there was a big section on um, draining the, the, microbe, uh, the microbes off the
1: plants um, into a liquid. And then probably It was re- probably, uh, making a compost tea, so draining the leachate from the compost. That might have been it. And creating a-, a- a microbic solution that's, you know. Yeah, and these
0: guys were, uh, they look like dirty hippies, uh, you know, long beards, living on the land, long hair, but they were drinking this stuff. They're like, you know, this thing is f- full of microbe, you know, it's going to cure my microbiome or whatever, and they would drink it, and I'm like, that looks so
1: nasty. Well, so simple analogies, uh, you could look at it as soil as um, the, the gut system, as your hmm. gut system. So we know now, and I'm sure you're familiar with the new research, that the flora and fauna affect all aspects of not just physical health, but mental health.
0: Well, yeah, most of our neurotransmitters are produced in the gut. Right. That's a new finding. That's pretty cool.
1: Right. So um, from an organic perspective, as far as horticulture, um, right now, the, uh, with, with uh, standard-grown techniques, the soil is basically looked at as just a substrate, something for the plant. To take root in. Uh, there's no account for the biological diversity in the soil. And the problem is uh, the chemical fertilizers which come from oil, uh, they're petrochemical distillates, um, and they're they're basically heavy salts. So when you put those salts down it that destroys microbial life. And then you add the pesticides, which basically came from uh, post-World War I they took the nerve agents that they used on the battlefield and diluted them down into nerve agents for pests. So that, that's where pesticides came from. Now, of course, these are extremely toxic and you add the um, herbicides, which are also petroleum distillates and extremely toxic um, carcinogenics. And you really create a problem, mm-hmm. creating, uh, if, you're, if your intent is to grow healthy nutrient dense uh, high energy food right well it doesn't surprise me that we're doing that to plants <laughs> because we
0: do that to ourselves too right. you know we surround ourselves with these petroleum products and plastics and things like that, and you know we're toxifying our own body every single day in the environments that we live in um, so it's not surprising that we do that with anim- or with plants too um, but from the perspective of that you're describing you know this this is Would you say this is a perspective taken um, in the age of, uh, you know, agricultural industry since that really took off, that, you know, we need maximum yield of mass of uh, vegetable, not necessarily nutrient-dense mass, but give us bigger corn... And bigger tomatoes and that's what we want um, and that was no matter the cost right right and that's sort of been the mindset um, for these mass production farmers since about the 1860s yeah yeah um, which is unfortunate because I think before then we were talking about primitive and I say primitive with air quotes primitive cultures um, took much better care of the soil in consideration to their crop growing than we do and this this the alternative, uh, I think, is where you're going. The alternative way of thinking is, take care of the soil first, and you'll take care of the plants, and they'll they'll yield for you anyway. Don't right. focus on genetically modifying things; uh, you're going to get a shitty
1: product anyway. Yeah. So soil as the microbiome, um, you know, the the focus in organics is is the bio, the biological diversity in the soil, and um, you know, making sure. The biology, not necessarily the plant, but the biology has what it needs to um, survive and prosper, and in turn, the symbiotic relationship with plant roots—that's that's how you create an environment for the healthiest plants. So the soil by itself is alive. You're saying? Right, right. It is. It is a living. It is matter. a living organism. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. Would we classify it as an organism or just it's a living substrate
1: with yeah. lots of I different mean, organisms? Think it's, a, it's
0: a system. It's, it's an a, environment. Right. Yeah.
1: It's a, yeah.
0: Sorry, it's but definitely, def- definitely alive. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I've never thought of soil as as alive like that. Just the things in it that might be alive. Um, but that makes sense. It's more of a symbiotic relationship between the two. Why haven't we caught on to this before? Like, why why are we putting all this stuff in
1: knowing that it's killing the the soils? Well, it's because um, slow kill weapons make big profits, right? Um, so if you look at the history of agriculture in the world, and specifically in the United States, it mirrors um, that of the medical industry in the sense that um, prior to the 1900, medicine was largely um, plant-based. And then when you have large corporate interests take over, um, they use the same chemicals in pesticides as they do in pharmaceuticals. So you're really creating a system of degradation when people, um, you know, consume things that slowly degrade their health and then they become dependent on allopathic medicine or uh, petroleum-based pharmacies. Mm -hmm. So you think... The, and the people, yes, it's a conspiracy. Right, yeah,
0: you, you think the, the people Monsanto included in there, it's,
1: but all those people that they knew Well, it's the same industrialists, you sure. know, the Rockefellers. And, yeah,
0: but you think that they, and that they knew that uh, what they were putting out there was going to eventually kill people and oh, they did it intentionally?
1: Doubt. Yeah, yeah, the no Yeah, before a, a pesticide or a chemical comes out, it's actually up to the company to do the safety test. The government, the same company? Yeah, the government doesn't do independent no safety checks tests. checks and balances. So now you're seeing all the, um, finally, some repercussions for, you know, all the lies uh, associated with Roundup, which is extremely toxic, mm-hmm. uh, which was one of the ingredients used in Agent Orange. Right. Um, so, yeah, they, they know. they I have no doubt they know what they're doing.
0: Well, I've heard that, uh, you know, the top, people in all those companies, they don't even eat their own products. No, they have... Yeah, they don't feed those foods to their kids, no. you know. They they have their own organic farm farms at their houses, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they the food that they consume, they grow completely different than the food that they give to, to the general public. Yeah. That is yeah. fucked up. <laughs> That's so messed up. Oh, man. Oh, that pisses me off. But, you know, hopefully more people like you can come out and start to educate others like myself on, um, you know, how important soil is to take care of, uh, you know, with rotating crops and making sure that you're putting, well, how you tell me, how would you make, um, how would you turn, like go out to a, a cornfield that's been pretty much desolated by, uh, non-crop rotation and pesticides is that a lost cause
1: or is there, are there interventions you could do oh, to no, rebuild um, that crop, or yeah, rebuild I mean, that soil? Nature is miraculous, right? Mm-hmm. And it's self-repairing. So the first thing, if you cleared the field, the first thing it's going to do is grow weeds. And we look at weeds as pests. As pests. But what they're doing is they're preventing the soil from even being blown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the first species to come in to begin balancing the soil, uh, creating habitat for other insects. Insects mm-hmm. bring birds. So nature is self-repairing and you know with our understanding there's a lot of things we can do um, to speed that process. And the first thing is to bring in you know your carbon source which is just biomass, plant matter, uh, compost and biology. So basically you know basically compost is just um, biomass and there's natural bacteria everywhere in the air. The bacteria breaks you know uh, the plant matter down in, into a basic form uh, a Humic substance and that becomes the basically the fertility of the soil
2: mm-hmm.
1: so adding compost um, I Did a lot with biochar? Which is a carbon product obviously and it's basically charcoal, but uh, the inter- interesting history it came from um, South America and the Amazon And they discovered these massive areas um, of the most fertile soil they ever discovered on the planet, and they were a product of uh, ancient um, cultures, uh, their farming practices. Mm -hmm. And so what they were doing was um, charring forest wood, creating a charcoal, and adding that to the soil, and uh, basically this charcoal, it acts like a... Kind of like a, a reef in the ocean, where bacteria can colonize. Like and, a building block. Uh huh. Yeah, and it, it speeds you know all these soil dynamics that create uh, fertile soil.
0: Okay, so it brings the uh, the organisms into the soil to start habitating it and.
1: It, yeah, it gives them housing basically. Exactly. Free housing.
0: That's cool. <laughs> so the charcoal is the housing. The substrate is the uh, you know the scaffolding, and then the uh, the compost is the is the fertile um, the, the wrong, nutrients the raw ingredients, right? Yeah, nice. Uh, what
1: else would you add? Anything else, or is that pretty good? Um, let's see what else would I. I mean, you can always use um, hydrotherapy and, and flush soil, but depending on the size and water availability. Sure. But really. Um, Biomass and biochar. Um, yeah. You can plant cannabis. Cannabis is uh, used to detoxify even areas, you know, extremely contaminated um, areas with industrial products. Really?
0: So you could uh, you could plant like um, hemp fields over a toxic waste dump, and right. it may not may not totally cleanse it, but it would help. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, um, and. I,
2: yeah. Yeah, him, Do other it,
0: plants have, have that property, or is it particularly cannabis? I know more
1: about cannabis, but I'm sure there's a, a large sector of plants that have detox, but detoxifying potential, yeah.
0: Interesting. So cannabis has detoxifying potentials and rebalancing potentials for us, but also for the planet itself. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a master healer. It heals in, in all areas. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So that that would probably that char would probably explain why um, land gets so fertile after like big wildfires and right. burns. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's another aspect. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we add all this stuff in in and then then the little creatures start coming in, right? The bacteria, the bugs,
1: beneficial the, fungus, mycorrhizae, which is microscopic fungus, as a big is a big uh, part in organic agriculture. Okay. So. Yeah, like
0: you said, the soil is literally its own microbiome, right? And you got to take care and nurture this microbiome. It literally becomes like uh, like a society, a culture, a mini. As above, so below, right? Yeah, exactly. In right. uh, a microcosm, uh, it reminds me of this experience. Uh, I want to tell you a story of this experience I had, Um, totally sober, so (laughs) (laughs) cross my heart, hope to die. Um, I was actually, I was going back to Newport Beach um, for my one year sobriety birthday, because that's where I got sober. So I wanted to see all the counselors that had helped me, um, and show them the magnificence of their work, right? (laughs) And I go out and lay on the beach by myself, and uh, it's a hot day, and I'm just laying on my stomach with some music on And I believe I was listening to the Mars Volta The album Tourniquet. Do you know the Mars Volta? Okay, they're this uh, psychedelic rock band, totally out there, sounds uh, really cool, but a modern psychedelic band. And I'm laying there on my stomach. Um, I'm eye level with the with the white sand, and my focus is, my eyes are focused in the distance, uh, as they usually would be, like a human would do. So um, I had a little experiment that instead of focusing far, I I focused my eyes. What was right in front of me, which was the sand, and uh, just looking at the sand um, that was right in front of my face, maybe six inches in front of my face, and staring mindfully at it for maybe 20 minutes, um, it was a mind-blowing uh, spiritual experience in in, the, in those moments. Um, because when I, the the more I would stare at the sand um, in its detail, I would notice little creatures crawling through there little tiny bugs that i would never see Um, every single grain of sand was different a different color probably came from a different part of the world um, different shapes there was pieces of glass in there that were mixed in you couldn't tell the difference if you didn't look closely uh, between the sand and the glass and um, it literally was a mini world right in front of my face that i was totally oblivious to my entire life up to this point up to this twenty minutes and my mind was just blown around'm like you know it, it just showed me like the fractal nature of of all of existence and that's what it reminded me of when you're talking about the soil like you get down in there there's you know there's there's bug grocery stores there's gas stations you know there's um, feed lots feed yeah. lots and and nesting sites and mm-hmm. um, you know all sorts of cool stuff, but we don't we don't take the time to examine that and and really appreciate the complexity of it because somehow we think that we're humans and we're bigger and
1: that little stuff doesn't matter to us so we're just going to walk on it all day long right right yeah and if you put a microscope up to one grain of sand you know the biology that you would see on that one grain you know would be would just be mind blowing and i think uh, at the same time, you know, if we could see the spiritual side of things, that's how it would be. You wouldn't see just one spirit here, one spirit there. But, you know, like, a, I mean, billions of spirits in, in one little space. Yeah, occupied in every little infinite mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, have you ever heard of the holographic theory of the universe? Yeah.
1: Tal- yeah. Talbot, I think, was the author that wrote.
0: Oh, really? I uh I first heard about it from um the author Lynn McTaggart. She wrote okay. a book called uh The Holographic Universe. Um that I read after she wrote a book called The Field all about these energy fields. So the Holographic Universe and the way she explained it to me was that if our our universe is a hologram as it as they were hypothesizing then that mean that would explain a lot of the fractal nature of what we what we see and what you're describing with this many spirits occupying the same space um, because in a hologram every little pixel of a hologram contains the entire image of the entire hologram right so the sum of these of these you know hundreds thousands millions billions trillions of holograms is you know you'll see the big picture right um,
1: but I don't think we we always have access to uh, to that information right and at, yeah at the same time you would um, you would have the information for the entire universe in say one atom on your body then, right yeah and yeah like you said as as below so below
0: as above so below we mm-hmm. are the universe um, what we're seeking for is already within us you know uh, every single atom that's a part of us contains the entire the entirety of existence, mm-hmm. the entire universe inside of a universe, and that of information universe. is accessible that's what I'm most interested in. Mm-hmm. It is accessible, and we're looking for this information and answers outside of ourselves right uh, we We want to know what um the rings of Saturn look like, so we send a satellite out to it, right maybe. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I want to know though how we can access that information that's already inside of us like on that on that miniature fractal scale. We should be able to know what the rings of Saturn yeah. look like, feel like, taste like, smell like by tapping how they in, got there, right, yeah. by tapping into that same history that's inside every single atom mm-hmm. within us. Yeah. So theoretically, that's possible. But the question is, how do we do it practically? Right. That's that's the big question.
1: Yeah, I think you know, breathing meditation mm-hmm. it, it can be the only way. I think uh, the Buddhists are onto
0: something. Uh, they've been practicing these things, trying to access that information for a long, long time. Yeah, I think a lot of traditions have. I yeah. give I give a lot of credit to Buddhism just because I'm a, I follow Buddhism mostly, but most spiritual or religious traditions have some form of meditation whether it be prayer or yoga um, or something um, within their tradition that is the same thing as meditation trying right. to connect to
1: all mm-hmm. right And I, w- I was gonna say you know with um, you know religions are also can be looked at as a primary source of programming. yep uh, a lot of that not beneficial but um, you know, the process is kind of becoming, it's a process of becoming adept and, you know, finding the truth, you know, within, even within a body of lies, right? And I think, you know, that's, that's, that's true with everything. I think you hit
0: the, hit the nail on the head when you said that religion is a programming uh, machine. It certainly is. Um. Organized religion. That's always been my experience. They're trying to program you to think in the way that they believe, right? Um, I think that's probably why I rebelled so much against organized religion when I was young. Yeah, so did I. Like, fuck you. You're not going to tell me who I am and what I'm going to believe and where I'm going to go. And I'm like, screw you. (laughs) Who the hell do you think you are, right? Um, And that's also the reason why I fell so deeply in love with Buddhist philosophy. Number one, they don't even call their own philosophy or religion. They're like, we're not a religion. You know, you can still be a Christian and practice Buddhism. You can still be Hindu and practice Buddhism. This is a philosophy for life, philosophy on how to deal with life on life's terms. Yeah, it's a practice. Yeah, uh, it's like a like a guidebook. Um, but my most favorite thing about Buddhism, the thing that really drew, drew me in was uh, that the Buddha himself said, you know, after giving this huge lecture of speech and telling people how to reach enlightenment and everyone's like, Mouths open, jaws on the ground, he's like, but wait, don't believe a word I just said. Don't you dare believe a word I just said on blind faith. Go out and experience it for yourself. And if you find that something is different than what I said, then believe what you experience. Don't believe what I say. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, was a radical idea for any spiritual tradition to say. Don't believe what we say. Take it as guidance and go experiment go figure out this thing called life with a little bit of maybe structure to how you're going to think about
2: it.
1: Yeah. So it's a process of self-discovery, right? Cause the under, you know, to understand and explore the world outside the most effective way I think is, is to go within.
0: Mm-hmm. And so we'll leave all you listeners in suspense right there with that comment. <laughs> um, so the podcast only allows me to do an hour at a time. We're going to stop here and then, uh, Restart with Spencer after a few words from our sponsors. All right, we're back with Spencer Bath. Spencer, you left us all in suspense before that uh, short commercial break, and you said, um, "You know, you know, in order to discover, you know, the answers that we're seeking, we need to go within rather than looking without ourselves." Uh, can you expand on that
1: and your experience with that? Because I, I'm I can't, full agreement. So, if you look at um, uh, a word like understanding. Um, if you're understanding what you're doing is actually you're standing under somebody else's experience somebody else's concept somebody else's information right information is a form that's why you go in the form in formation to find to find out right to find your way out to understand that form so um, I think a better term uh, would be understanding. so you go inside yourself to find truth about about yourself, primarily, and that and that's where the truth lies entirely. I guess inner standing. i never heard that term. I think you're onto something there. Right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to that. You should you should pump that idea out there. Uh, inner standing. I'll certainly share that too. Um, yeah, if understanding is standing underneath um, the knowledge of others before us, inner standing could be pictorialized as you know standing in the inner space Mm -hmm. um and not necessarily doing anything about it but just being there Mm -hmm. you know um observing um and standing there having presence having uh having some connection to your inner world i think that's a big part of um you know the the disorders, any number of disorders across the world, not just our society, but you know, mental disorders, physical disorders, uh, political disorders, spiritual disorders is a disconnection um, from ourselves, from uh, from that inner world. You know, I think people are afraid to go in there. Uh, they're afraid of what they're going to find. Mm-hmm. They're afraid. You know, I was talking to um, one of our training partners, Jerome, uh, on the podcast, and I and we were talking about. You know what happens to your consciousness after you die and how difficult it is to sit with that line of contemplative thought because you'll eventually get to a place where well again in buddhist philosophy you'll get to a place where you'll understand that you are not your body you are your consciousness and you exist even outside of your body and you will continue on as that energy after you die um jerome was like whoa that's scary. I don't, I don't want to necessarily go there, you know. And I think a lot of people are sitting in the same place that he is, you know. It can be really scary to go inside there. Um, it's uncharted territory. And yet, it's also the most intimate space that we ever have the opportunity to explore in our entire life. Um, in my view, it's a, it's a disservice to ourselves if we don't explore it.
1: Yeah, and I think um, if you take it as a simple concept like going to heaven, and apparently you go there for eternity, and it's uh, a state of bliss. Well, any any state for eternity is going to quickly become a hell, right? I mean, so your spirit really is looking for experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, something a uh, concept like going to heaven really... It doesn't make a lot of sense
0: yeah um, it doesn't make sense to me either that we would be transported to some ethereal cloud-filled realm which would Um, turn out to be a hell (laughs) yeah well you're right someone someone told me he's like yeah when you die you go to heaven and you see all your family and blah 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 I'm like my family's gonna be there wait this is this is heaven are you sure like uh, you know heaven to me is not surrounded by um, you know most of my family's awesome but some of my family uh, especially the ones i haven't talked to for many many years are people i prefer not to ever see again you know and uh doesn't sound like heaven to me um so recently i i this the same thing i've heard this in the past before but recently it's been i've been hearing it almost weekly uh someone or some meme i'll see will, will be talking about how heaven is not any place but it's uh it's here right now and it's just merely to access it, it's merely just realizing that that's what we're experiencing now. That this is heaven on earth right now, and the opportunity we're being afforded to experience life in the way that we do, with consciousness, with which, uh, with our senses, you know, with you know, orgasm and with um, excitement and sadness and um, guilt and loss and all these range of emotions. That this is, like you said, we're seeking after experience, and that's what we're getting. You know, we are getting heaven on earth. We only have to realize that we are, you know. And then once we do, we're, you know, then we're in bliss as, as much as we possibly can be.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I could see, um, you know, as far as you were talking about Buddhism and, and their ideas of what happens after death. I think through practice, you, you can actually become, you can increase your awareness of your consciousness even after death. And possibly come become maybe a more conscious serial reincarnator right so you actually remember um, your previous past life experiences while you're incarnated mm-hmm. uh, I think that well
0: I think anecdotally there's been some case uh, reports I don't know about case studies but case reports of people being reborn and remembering um, yeah, past lives lots
1: of studies on that yeah yeah um,
0: mm-hmm. so that can be a thing for sure um, yeah, and part of part of Buddhism, um, again, that I really like, in this whole cycle of life, death, rebirth, learning lessons, uh, and you know, traveling consciousness through different embodiments, um, a big aspect of Buddhism is the cessation or the stopping of that entire cycle that that is our actual purpose as a spirit, not as a human being, but as a spirit, our purpose is to remove or stop that cycle of what they call samsara, the the cycle of life, death, and rebirth, to stop that cycle, to somehow break free of it so that we're no longer trapped in it, um, and that we rise above and reach nirvana, right, so becoming pure energy. Um, this is the state that, that the Buddha reached, but... Um, it's a really interesting concept um, to break, you know, it reminds me of the movie, The Matrix, like you were saying, you know, like literally, you know, in that movie, these people, you know, in their minds are living their life out, you know. um, it's Maya, it's the illusion. The trappings, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, when really you're just a battery for this this other universe. Um, But then they break free from the cycle. And that's when you know Neo wakes up out of his out of his goo, and all these you know all the pieces come off of him. That I think is a, is a, akin to um, this Nirvana experience, or waking up to what reality really is, and then embodying that. Um, it's just fascinating to figure out, you know, how to do that, and you know, do we even want to do that? And you know, um, is the purpose for all of us to reach that? You know. Um, I don't know what do you think?
1: Um <clears throat> you know it's I I can't really I don't really know if you know what the purpose is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that's a a question that would be in a whole nother entire podcast. But I mean I I really think you know you can really only focus on yourself. So um and just you know in in daily ongoings you notice some people are open and perceptive and have questions and um and are interested in in this in this path and but the majority really they they aren't. They're they're attached to their programs. Why do you think people and, and, are so attached and tuned out? I mean it's there's a lot of programming. It's it's not just pro it's not just mental programming, it's you know drugging, it's toxins, I mean it's Propaganda. really yeah, it's an all out assault on, you know, physically and mentally. Yeah. And you know, I've always been aware of this and even you know, even with that I still use drugs and alcohol for you know most of my life. Yeah. Um so it's it's difficult. It takes work. It takes effort.
0: Yeah. And all of that could be summed up as Maya. Mm-hmm. Right. So for the listeners who don't know what Maya is, Maya is this concept in Buddhism. Um, it's this embodiment of all of the, the trappings of the mind and of the physical body and of human existence. Uh, I think Buddhists believe there's 108 um, maladies uh, or um, unproductive states of mind. And uh, Maya sort of is this umbrella statement to encapsulate all of them. And it's usually depicted as like a red demon um so as the buddha was was sitting under his bodhi tree after his you know his lifetime uh journey you know the the buddha started out as a very rich prince um very sheltered and then um uh, you know went on his journey tried all sorts of different religious traditions and alchemy and asceticism and all these things and none of them worked for him to find enlightenment or find the meaning of life so he just sat down in front of this tree and said i'm not moving here until i do um and in this state of meditation under the bodhi tree uh maya came to him so all the delusions uh, all the trappings of human existence um you know he was hallucinating at this point maybe and and would see you know beautiful women coming and and tempting him like no get up off your stoop come with us or some guy with with a feast and say no you just have to get up and and go eat you know all these trappings of desire and lust and and uh that in that moment that's when the buddha you know we're all familiar with um, the famous picture of the Buddha putting his hand straight down and touching the earth with his other hand up in a mudra, and the hand touching the earth uh, as as far as I understand it, he is um, signifying that you know as I touch the earth, the earth is my witness um, that I will overcome you, you know, and then Maya disappears, and he reaches enlightenment. Um, I think it's also as above, so below. Yeah, yeah. right. So he's holding this move, one hand up, one hand down. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, as God as, as as Earth is my witness. You know, I am I am no longer uh, caught in my delusion. And so, when you're talking about all these programming, you know, all this program that we're we're, we're digesting through media or whatever, um, teachers, books, uh, everything, um, that is all. Maya. And I think a lot of people are trapped in that cycle because Maya is really freaking seductive. Maya is really appealing to stay stuck in intense emotion, to stay stuck in and attached to relationships and love and stay attached to things and substances. And it's just so appealing that it, it, um,
1: I think also, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but yeah, fine. from a psychology perspective, you also have the element of trauma, mm-hmm. and people are repeatedly traumatized, and, um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with MKUltra oh, yeah. and how they used, uh, MK Ultra is trauma-based mind control, so they learn to program people, traumatize people physically and emotionally, and then program, you know, different personalities, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, or different tasks, and you know. So what you see is MK Ultra on mass, right? So people are re- repeatedly traumatized, and that that really keeps them, you know, in a, a more controllable state. Right, like then, uh, that's fear a big base. problem. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can keep someone in a in a state of fear, perpetual fear, even if it's at a low level, then they're much more uh, susceptible to control.
1: Right. Yeah
0: huh sounds like you've studied quite a bit on um the way that societies and people and cults try and control people
1: yeah and you know to bring addiction to it so um the way i see addiction is it's it's a coping mechanism resulting from trauma well the energy of addiction you know everybody really is traumatized but the energy energy of addiction can play out in all different ways, it may not necessarily look like what we consider addiction. It can, in some sense, say it's food or chemicals, or um, but it's really kind of the same cycle, right? Explain a little bit further. What do you mean? So, um, <clears throat> people adopt coping mechanisms to True. deal. Yeah, I'm on the,
0: board with you with that. With um, the trauma. Yeah, so I'm on board with you in the sense that um, addiction, instead of being viewed as um, like a negative response to uh, trauma and life circumstances um, it can be it can also be viewed as just a normal reaction um, to to deal with trauma yeah it is a,
1: a normal of yeah. the brain right?
0: absolutely right so so let's just get that straight that we're both on on the same page there and yeah. I, I think that's a totally yeah. foreign concept to people that addiction is a normal uh, response. Most people think that addiction is like, uh, like, how dare you! Like, you can't pull your shit together. Well, no, this is a normal response.
1: A lot of people behave this way. Um, yeah, so we're we're on the same so page. So pe- pe- people may be traumatized and then pursue a coping mechanism through intense religion, right? right. Or they may uh, find a coping mechanism and They may not be an addict per se but they may have terrible relationships Mm -hmm. right so there's a number of ways it can play out Um, but that initial trauma kind of traps an individual it traps their growth and until that trauma is processed and released um, you you can't really move forward Mm -hmm. well yeah now you're now you're talking about what I do for a living right so it's it's an exceptional control mechanism on multiple planes yeah. Um
0: it's well, this idea of control. I want to break it off into two branches with the idea of substance abuse too because on one hand it's an external controller, right? Because Philip Morris, uh who owns all the cigarette companies, you know, Budweiser, Coors, all these all these companies know what they're doing with these addictive substances. They know that they're getting people addicted and they're causing insane amounts of death because of their product um, and yet they're they're keeping us addicted, right? They're controlling uh, our perception of these things and our use of these things um, but there's also a control aspect about you know self-control around these things too and um, sometimes we give up our sense of agency or control over ourselves when we choose to engage in intoxicants for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. you know um, and I'm you know having I'm a, I'm a former alcoholic and an addict of many many drugs both stimulants and downers um, so I have both a I'm a lot of negative associations with a lot of different drugs um, but I also have a lot of positive associations with those very same drugs um, so I'm one to view them more as medicines, including alcohol, not not in the forms that we're seeing today, but even in ancient times. Well, it's um, an antiseptic, right? Using alcohol for very specific medicinal reasons was a normal thing. You go into the apothecary and you get this mead off of this shelf, and it cures you of your stomach ache or whatever. Um, Every poison is going to be a cure depending on dose, right? Do, and we were talking about that in my last podcast. Yeah. So dose and and what's in it. You know what chemicals are in it you know the alcohol today is really watered down and trashy um, sugar based um, so not very medicinal but i don't know where i was going with that but um you know these substances uh, and our relationships to them as coping skills i think it's the intention that we go into the use with right if we're going into the use with um, substances or with behaviors um, like Sex, you know sex can be great if you go into it with a loving intention. if you go into it with an intention um to get an adrenaline rush, uh you might become a sex addict, yeah it right can be just another drug. right any other anything food, gambling, like you said uh cleaning it can become an addiction depending on your intention going into it, you know um and that's where I think we need to know thyself a little bit, knowing why we're choosing to engage in it. Uh, are we being triggered by a trauma, right, and exploring that trauma, or is it just because um, our relationship to whatever we're choosing to engage in um, is a maladaptive relationship? Mm-hmm. You know, I maybe I have a bad relationship with donuts. Uh, I know somebody who has a bad relationship <laughs> with donuts. I think you know who I'm talking about. But you know, I we could eat like 12 donuts and then feel like shit. Well, someone someone else can have half a donut and feel just as satisfied. You know I think intention is a big big piece of it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, with anything, even with good stuff, with meditation too
2: yeah.
1: yeah, and I think um you know when you talk about intention, I think about um, coming to an understanding of where you you can view all all matter as programmable all matter is spiritually program programmable, that's part of the reason, for example, why you would pray before you eat because you're changing the spiritual nature of your food but beyond that I think um, part of understanding your power as an individual is is realizing that all uh, matter is programmable and accessing that ability through mm-hmm. through meditation and reaching other planes
2: mm-hmm.
1: so first of all I love your where you're going with this because
0: uh, that's Probably where my mind is at right now, uh, probably 80% there as far as that being um, a part of my dissertation topic for my oh, PhD cool. program. As far as um, not only exploring consciousness, but being able to access the vast amount of uh, information um, that we need to heal ourselves. Um, and how do we do that, right? So I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I love where you're going with that um, I, too, believe that, you know, meditation is a great way to access some of it. But it seems still, and maybe it's just because we're Westerners and we're less practiced in it. Maybe, you know, Buddhist monks who have been doing it for 50 or 70 years can access that information anytime they want uh, with pure, perfect clarity. But I only get, like, little glimpses. Um, My uh, psychedelic medicine experiences usually give me um, huge data downloads. uh, Well, huge to me. Mm-hmm. They're probably still just pinpricks of what's available, but um, so meditation can be one way to access it. What do you think are some other ways? Because uh, meditation is not for everyone either. What are some other ways do you think that we can start to access, um, you know, the holographic information that's contained within us that can solve really all of our all of our problems, all of our issues?
1: I mean, my only uh, addition would. Be- would be different forms of meditation Hmm. you know um it's it's really you know exiting the physical plane the 3d plane and and learning to work and navigate build a ship and travel through you know the other dimensions Mm -hmm. and there's which there's different names for the etheric plane the astral plane Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know different uh schools of thought Give, give these planes different labels, so mm-hmm. a lot of the times they're interchangeable to a degree. So have you it's, been able to travel? Have you built your not, ship? Not without plant medicines.
2: Okay. That's <laughs> yeah, difficult, right? But It is.
0: The plant medicines are great stewards of the information. Um, and the thing about that is, you know, they have an intelligence of their own. You know, these plant medicines will only allow you to access as much as you're ready to see. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Sometimes you may think like you're
1: you're seeing more than you can handle, but you know it's all that you're all being shown. It's, whatever you're being shown for it's, a reason. Yeah, it's, it seems to be tailored specifically for you. Right. And, I mean, you are really, you know, especially with ayahuasca, you really feel when before I uh, tried ayahuasca, we talked a lot about it, and they would talk about the plant spirit. Well, when you do it, it kind of gave me a, a, a new understanding of or understanding of of you know. Uh, something that you wouldn't normally think of as having a spirit mm-hmm. so
0: so far in this podcast today we've covered that plants have uh, different forms of communication that we're unaware of different forms of intelligence that we're unaware of and a spiritual nature that we're also unaware of um, i mean where you and i are aware of it. we felt it you know um, i had an ayahuasca experience in boulder once where um, it was the morning the sun was coming up and we were all coming down from the experience and I was outside and I put my I just had this uh I was standing in front of this huge tree and I just had this desire to reach out and touch it like it it had it had told me to do that um for no reason and I touched and I could feel like the energy pulsing through this plant um and I closed my eyes and I feel like what the plant showed me was Its entire inner workings and its spiritual self, you Mm -hmm. know, um, beyond what I was touching physically, but that's how we were connected. Uh, It showed me from seed to where it was now, you know, 200 feet tall, um, how it developed and why it chose to develop in the way it did. It was really fascinating. Uh, It was blessed. It was a a big blessing to be shown that, you know, uh, an entire life cycle of an organism that's been on the planet for four times as long as I have yeah I wonder what's possible in the future Um, and maybe this is a a possible future for psychedelic research but um, how to initiate and enhance connectivity between um, different organisms Um, plant and animal animal and human plant and human
1: yeah I mean I think a lot of these areas they're going to run into the you know, scientific materialism can can only take you so far.
0: Yeah, and like I've said on the podcast, I think it's the wrong tool mm-hmm. ultimately to be uh, used in researching the spiritual realm.
1: It's just not adequate. It's too blunt. And you know, learning is can also be looked at as a, as a process of actually remembering, mm-hmm. because you already have the information. You already know it all. Mm-hmm. So. uh you know, learning and coming to a state of gnosis or knowledge mm-hmm. is, is really remembering or, or putting things back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've forgotten so much as a, I don't
0: know, as a species, as a spiritual entity. Yeah. And it, it is, you know, it's it's right at our fingertips, you know, if we can just open ourselves to it.
1: And um, I, I think it never ends, though. What do you mean? Yeah, it's it's just gonna be a constant process of growing I mean, mm. it's infinite I, I don't yeah. think we're necessarily gonna to get to a, a point of stasis It's you know a process of continuing to balance energies
0: hmm yeah I have you know I have conflicting feelings about that idea um, because I feel and this is not just a thought but I feel very strongly in both camps Like I feel very strongly in the in the Buddhist philosophy camp that says, because it has come into existence, it must also cease to exist. Um, That that's the nature of existence. Uh, But I'm also in the other camp um, that that really feels like it could be infinite. That you know maybe as a universe we expand to a point and then we contract like a breath of air, but then the contraction turns into another expansion and another contraction and that'll happen forever Mm -hmm. um so it's it's hard to sit with and and really decide which side of the fence i'm on on that one i feel them both very very strongly and maybe it doesn't have to be one or the other maybe it's both
1: right there's a lot of truth and paradox
0: yeah maybe it's both and maybe it's based off of what i choose or something (laughs) who knows yeah that's interesting um, that's awesome. I love, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. So what do you think are some, uh, some of the future implications as far as, um, being able to access our consciousness, uh, or connect with and use some of these forgotten things to our advantage. Um, I don't know if I told you about this, but there was a, there was a anthropologist who went, um, on a sabbatical, went all over the world studying these ancient cultures and uh and hieroglyphs and things like that and he theorized that maybe a couple million years ago that human beings actually had like 350 different senses you know so we know our our big five senses these days uh so he said we had over like 350 different senses including things like telekinesis um telepathy um levitation moving through walls um you know all these different skills that we think are science fiction might have actually been things that we were capable of because back then maybe we realized that all matter is programmable like you said so mm-hmm. we could, we could levitate if we wanted um, but then over time he theorized that that we lost those those skills because they weren't passed down you know um as as culture started to shape themselves and the programming um, started to change to be a more uh, control based paradigm rather than a, you know, a free laissez faire society. Um, You know, that we we were oppressed into forgetting a lot of these, these skill sets that are very freeing for us. And so now we're left with five. You know, or you know, five that most people can recall. But you know, science—I I looked into it. Uh, science actually considers quite a few senses. You know, things like your sense of time, your sense of balance, your sense of um, temperature. So you can sense what if it's cold or hot in this room. These are all things too, but uh, most people don't think of those when they think of the big five. So we—we we already know we have more senses than we thought we did. Mm-hmm. But the potential is maybe we have—you know—five hundred senses that if we just remember. How to walk through a wall, and
1: maybe we can bend matter to our will and do that? yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know I think the more you learn, the more learn that anything is possible, so certainly I mean I think it's obvious that humans have far more senses than we're, we're being given credit for by you know uh, the scientific establishment. Um, but I've, you know I think. We're living in a time of revelation, hmm. in a sense, because um, a lot of the esoteric knowledge, the hidden, the occult sciences, um, you know, for because of things like the internet, for example, are far more widely available.
0: So they're reemerging.
1: Also, um, things like the control, the control and power structure. How does that work? Well, I mean, if you lived a hundred years ago, you'd have to. Be like to spend your whole life in a library and try and, and figure out how, you know, the the oligarchs keep control, but now it you know, the information's it's readily available.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, I think that has to do with, you know, the the zodiac, the astrology, the age or epoch that we're in. And uh, I don't know, I'm excited. Yeah, so if you know, growing up we took history.
0: Right, so we learned about things like the industrial era, the industrial revolution, the Renaissance era, you know, uh, the Dark Ages, Middle Ages. If we could put a name to the age that we're living in now, uh, what do you think it would be?
1: Um, You know, I haven't really given it. I mean, we're it's it's the digital age. It's information age. Yeah, the AI age. Mm -hmm. um, That's a significant component. Um, it's, like I said, it's really, you know, a revealing, it's, Mm. it's a lifting of the veil. That's, I think is a good, a good way
0: to put it. A lifting of the veil, because it's not necessarily an expansion of consciousness happening, right? But it's merely a utilization of what's already present in a more effective way. Right. So not holding ourselves back anymore pulling that veil back you know taking our foot off the brakes a little bit and jumping into exploring
1: some of the deeper things like our inner world our verse. and like you said every, you know everything is in a cycle of expansion and contraction so i think you know we've been in a long cycle of the expansion of of um you know power of oligarchical families for example but now uh the The expansion cycle of the individual is probably making a run
0: right,' because when one contracts the other one expands right, right? so the, the ol- oligarchical um you know power structures are shrinking, or at least people are becoming more aware of them, yeah, trying to you know I feel like we should all be trying to um well, I don't want ever want to advocate for violence against these people, but uh we should be not supporting them in their efforts to stay on top right Right. so you support them more in your
1: in your everyday decisions and what you eat I was
0: gonna say vote with your dollars you know if you don't support um, you know Wells Fargo or the people up there you know don't bank at Wells Fargo you know don't buy Wells Fargo products Um, do your research people like look into you know what companies these people own and then don't shop at those places that's how we collectively change things you know we need, to, we need to take the power out of their hands that way because they certainly have a
1: stronghold on, um, you know, weapons and things like that. Right, and they condition everyone to think that your power is at the ballot box, but yeah. an interesting note is that the word ballot comes from, it's a um, female aspect of, of the ancient Canaanite god Ba, or Ba'el, um, which is basically a pagan god that dem- that demanded child sacrifice. Hmm. So really in a sense it's telling you that <clears throat> you know when you're voting you're giving your consent you're giving you're handing over your spiritual energy to these other powers and to make decisions for you. Right. And that's exactly what you do. Mhm. You know, if you or for, or to harm you or other people. I mean. Yeah.
0: That's, well, that's true. I mm-hmm. mean, think if you vote for someone and they get into office And then they go back on their word and now they're doing damage to your life in some way then yeah you gave your consent to that or more in a broader
1: sense if you vote at all you're Mm. you're 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 handing over your power you know so what about to to the system no matter what no matter if you think it benefits you you know or not what about a personal checks and balances system um, where I
0: can vote for somebody to represent me uh, and my interests in politics or whatever, um, and then they change, they go back on their word. They start doing damage to things in my life, but then I don't take that and I stand up against them, protest, you know, lobby against them, um, things like that, and I take an active role
1: against this person. I think you're falling. Do you think into I'm
0: the... reclaiming my spiritual energy? Do no, you you're... think I'm falling into you're the falling
1: trap? Falling into their trap, right? Yeah. So. Um... You know, from a general political perspective, I would see as an individual deprogram, say a, a political system would decentralize, right? Mm-hmm. so uh rather than fighting you know for or against things you know that go on in Washington, you really want to find ways to bring the power back to the community.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: so deprogram and deprogramming and programming and decentralization of power i think do you know much about bitcoin um somewhat sorry
0: this is not an this, i'm not totally changing the subject on here but um when you said decentralized i thought of bitcoin and their system of de- decentralized currency right so there's 100 percent checks and balances and accountability on this blockchain system so that everyone supposedly. can see yeah so supposedly every transaction is viewable um there can be zero corruption right um ideally. Um, but to decentralize a government and give the power back to the people, that has a lot of moving parts and a lot of different um, ways that that could go right and wrong and all these things. But w- when you said that, I thought of like the blockchain model, and perhaps um, that could be uh, u- useful, at least in constructing like, how a
1: decentralized government might work right because the the currency and it goes back to the etymology of currency which is current right because currency is really just um, a system that transfers energy Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so it's it's a physical item or historically has been has been you know from precious metals to um, furs, to fiat currency Mm -hmm. they're, they're still it's still a physical item that transfers energy, human energy, right? It's it's like the most literal sense. So knowledge is a currency. Uh huh.
2: Nice.
1: Um, so, and then what? What's funny is when you go back to it, when you when you go back to Bitcoin or as far as um, digital currencies could be used, you know, because local communities could, you know, use their own. Digital currencies, mm-hmm. and it's really it's it's the concentration of currency or energy, that or power, right? Power corrupts absolutely, and so that you know I I think you're right. That's that's how digital currency could be helpful in the decentralization process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it could definitely be used like
0: actual use of the currency to help. Um, but I'm think I'm thinking more like the uh, the structural model of the blockchain is. Could you could maybe overlay that into what the structural model of decentralized Well the, the blockchain model is really transparency, right? Exactly. So transparency across the entire country, power given to the local people and local government. Right. So you to I could I could double check someone in Florida and be like, no, that law you just passed is bullshit, like
1: and then have some say on it. If you well, I mean you... Just endemically, you're you're gonna have more transparency locally when yeah. it comes to because that's where you live, that's community, and that's what you're knowledgeable of. So um, that's how I'd see kind of the the blockchain emulating that in a political sense. Mm-hmm. Really, it's interesting. I think it could work. It might be a little chaos at first. Yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah, it's one tool that we but, have. Yeah, but just like chaos theory tells you, even
0: Ch- apparent chaos uh, finds organization and function um, you know chaos theory says that everything will self-organize eventually you know so I think you know and you and I have talked about this too I think we were both used to idealize some anarchist uh, viewpoints in our in our youth mm-hmm. and um, now that I'm thinking about it I don't even know if, if anarchy would work I don't think anarchy would survive long I think it would exist for a little while maybe a hundred maybe a thousand years but eventually all that chaos would self-organize again and people would eventually form their own localized governments and currencies and you know. well i
1: don't yeah I don't, I don't i don't necessarily see anarchy i don't equate it with chaos mm. um really i see it as you know moving away from centralized control
2: mm.
1: so um it's you know anarchy is Maybe, as a, as a political goal, it's not just a de- decap- not a free for all. Yeah, you don't decapitate the government overnight and expect, you know, um, peace. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's it's a it's a, a practice, right? It's it's really the practice of decentralization.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I've always um, I don't know where I. I don't know where it picked up that uh, programming, to think about anarchy as a uh,
2: chaotic
1: it's, or destructive it's, force. It's culture, because yeah. I think anarchy is is probably one of the greatest threats to the power structure, mm. not in not a chaotic, violent sense sense, but in understanding that you know people can get along locally and mm-hmm. and be productive and help and be compassionate and help each other heal and. But and, that and, is, and they don't yeah. need uh, this governing body. That is how the government
0: talks about anarchy, though. Right? They right. say it's a destructive force, and you know it's going to be chaos. Well, how would you talk about your enemy? <laughs> right? To- no, totally. No, yeah, you don't want other, you don't want people. Yeah, you don't want people to even think to know that anarchy can also mean. <laughs> Community healing and community service and uh, cooperation between local people. Anarchy can also mean that, but they're not going to tell you that. Right, and
1: there's another Then you word, might want it. There's another word, panarchy, that would also include, um, it's kind of it includes symbiosis between the planes. Between the planes of like dimensional existence? Uh huh. Panarchy. Mm hmm.
0: Tell me more about that. Unpack that a little bit more. For oh,
1: you. you know, I don't have a, a lot underneath it. I just um, I came across that word years ago, and that had always stuck with me. Of is how uh, you know when I looked at the definition, it had included multiple realms, not just um, you know the physical plane. So it was it was kind of it was kind of a counterintuitive definition because it um, it you know talked about kind of a coherence across planes not uh, disorder or chaos
2: hmm so okay
0: so stabilized like a balance
2: Mm
0: hmm Hmm. panarchy that's a balance between planes that's interesting balance and, and cooperation between or just right? Balance? It's
1: a, I I didn't look it up okay. on my over here, but yeah, I'm it, not I'm looking. I'm gonna look I'm, that up. I'm pretty good this. at recalling certain definitions, and that was kind of the gist of it. Yeah, nice. So again,
0: you know, if we want to like going back to what you said in the first segment, if we want to achieve something like that balance between all dimensional space and time, which is that sounds pretty damn good, <laughs> then we would in order to do that we'd need to go inside to do that um, because we'll have much better. Uh, success changing it from the inside uh, from the inner space than it is you know trying to manipulate other dimensions out here in our physical space and trying to bring every little aspect into balance when you're just
1: you're basically being used as a vessel by other forces
0: right so then instead going to our inner world and trying to find um, that balance between between states between realms and then it'll be mirrored or reflected out in our
1: right because the external is you, right? I mean that is you. That's hard. That's hard <laughs> to sit with. I yeah. mean,
0: the concept itself I love, but when you say it that way, uh, and you look right at me when you do, you know what flashed in my head was, um, you know, all the political BS that goes on in our country, right? And I'm like, people are at war with themselves, right? Though. But but if everything external is me, then all that political bullshit is me too. And yeah. I
1: don't like that. Yeah, I don't want to be like that, you know, so... Right, I think part of the, the process of self-discovery is you know, understanding your 360 degrees, right? All aspects of yourself. Mm-hmm. Including the parts you don't like. Including those parts. Especially the parts mm-hmm. you don't like.
0: Yeah, that's probably why most people are Afraid of going inside Mm -hmm. because you do get to see all the beautiful things about yourself. You get to realize things about yourself that you didn't even notice um, that are amazing. But in order to do that, you also have to see all the bad shit too. You can't have one without the other. Um, It's a balance, you know, good information, bad information, things like that. And that's, you know, that's why I think I love jujitsu so much is because after you get over. The physical part of the sport or the art then it becomes a much more cognitive thing and it becomes much more internal so every day on the mats becomes again an internal exploration of who am I um, who do I think I am how good do I really <laughs> think I am at this thing uh, and then Z walks on the mat and taps us all out. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not as good as I thought I was, right? You know, it's, it's an inner journey so much more than it is a physical journey. Yeah, you get in shape. Yeah, we learn these cool moves. Um, but the learning that I get about myself through the process of the physical movement is that is really where, you know, the value comes from. You know, we learn about our strengths. We learn about our weaknesses. We learn about our ego, we learn about um, falsities that we hold about ourselves. We learn about what other people think about us. You know, uh, we learn all these things in one venue. Mm-hmm. How many venues in your life do you get that
1: opportunity? I mean, I played a number of sports, but um, yeah, jujitsu has to be by far. I'm just getting to the point where um, I'm actually I have kind of a meta awareness of. Uh, y- you get a awareness in your body so you don't actually think about a move or moving, mm-hmm. but it's almost um like you have a brain in your legs or something, and your your legs almost uh, like make, it knows
0: what to do uh-huh mm-hmm. like you get your leg trapped in a certain situation and you can keep your cognitive focus on a submission that you're trying to attempt on an arm while at the same time your leg knows what to do to get it
1: untrapped right and also or your 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 legs kind of know where their body is too, mm. and make make a decision, you know, based on their body. But the awareness is coming, not from your eyes or your head or, or anything that you're you know used to. But it seems different in that in that respect. Mm-hmm.
0: That's you know that's akin to tapping into one of those sensory organs, right? Mm-hmm. That we're not always aware of. Mm-hmm or allowing um different parts of ourselves to interact with our environment on their own without the executive functioning mm-hmm. going on i love that mm-hmm. um that's why I, I love flow states man when your whole body is doing that and each limb is acting independently and your brain is like your mind is not controlling anything it's just happening it's just there to witness it um those moments are so yeah, I'm, amazing i'm just
1: getting a of it and mm-hmm. it's it's phenomenal,
0: right? So tell me about tell me about your glimpses of flow state. Oh well, that's, a, that's an important part of jujitsu. Oh,
1: well, I was saying I am not sure about flow state. I don't know that I've been in a situation where it's kind of you know keeps going. But I I've just noticed glimpses of you know the body awareness that I was talking about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, right now it's just short periods. It's almost like meditating. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start meditating, it's a lot of practice, a lot of practice, and you'll finally get these short periods where you you you've actually, um, they say, you know, getting in the space between thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, really holding on to that stillness. So, right, right. In between. So it's, uh you know, it's just, it's short at first, but well, keep practicing. And that's what a
0: flow state is. It's, uh, you know, it's an extended period of that, you know, that stillness in between thoughts. Uh without having practice in meditation might be a millisecond. You know your thoughts may be very rapid one after the mm-hmm. other all day long, um, but with developing that and paying attention to that gap more and learning to be comfortable with having no thoughts, right? A lot of people are uncomfortable sitting there with that, and so they must think of something um, But if we can learn to extend that period and extend it further, we can turn that into flow states where there's very few thoughts. Or long periods of time without thought and then you know in jiu-jitsu that could be really useful especially in transitional movements where you're you know maybe 30 seconds of scrambling you need to turn your brain off and just go you know and then once you settle into a position then you can have a thought right like, what do I do next yeah exactly. Okay? Uh-huh. and then you go back into a flow state in between that in between state is um, just as important as the cognitive chess playing that we're doing Right, And I feel like that's kind of like how life should be. We spend too much time with our thoughts and that causes us too much depression, anxiety, stress, uh, worry, all these things. If we spent more time in the in-between thoughts Mm -hmm. and just were in a flow state during our daily life um, with attention to a few thoughts, I think we'd be much more productive. Definitely. Much more directed. Yeah, what are some of the um, insights about who you are as a person what sort of insights have you come to from jiu-jitsu um
1: i think you know the most important thing is that you know i've i've already achieved a level of i wouldn't say mastery but a, a skill level you know far more than i ever thought was possible mm. especially um for my age i mean 40 is not over the hill but to start jiu-jitsu at 35 is a little late with no, you know, wrestling background or anything like that. So, um, you know, it, it's just opened my mind to what I'm capable of mm-hmm. and also, um, you know, trying to let go of self-limiting beliefs, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's huge. Mm-hmm. Did you find that in the beginning when you first started jiu-jitsu your self-limiting beliefs uh were kind of ramped up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> that's took, what I it noticed. It took me a
1: long time to get comfortable. I mean, I think it was at least 6 months before, you know, for the first couple of weeks I had I don't know what you call that shaking thing cuz every partner was like, "Dude, just calm down." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it, it took me, you know, I just it was uh it's just a process of dealing with your own negativity so I would just attack myself you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: you, you can't do this you shouldn't be here um, should I even you know, go in yeah today? Should I even go you know you, you know you're too old for this
2: mm-hmm.
1: but um I stuck it out and and it, it's really opened my mind up
2: mm-hmm.
1: I bet
0: that translates into other areas of your life too where you're like you know you can look back at your for six months of jiu-jitsu and be like I wanted to quit so many times but I didn't and now look how much further than I ever thought I would be and
1: then use that in other areas of your life where you're like I don't know about this maybe I shouldn't well I think primarily you know I started jiu-jitsu before I had dealt with my addiction mm-hmm so um, yeah I think that was jiu-jitsu was definitely a factor because it taught me you know I can I can do things that are extremely hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think for me and my addiction and my recovery, jiu was a huge factor. Yeah. Um, it provided me not only a venue to go into my inner self and really figure out who the hell I am and what I'm afraid of and overcome some basic surface level fears, you know, fear, of physical harm, fear of, you know, getting squashed, (laughs) you know, fear (laughs) of getting choked unconscious, you know, you go through it so many times, and you're like, okay, uh, I don't need to be so afraid anymore. Um, But it also gave me a venue where I could experience community again, and connect with other people, you know, the people in our gym, I'll just use our gym, for example, we come from a wide Range of backgrounds, mm-hmm. we all do totally different jobs and think about world and and reality totally differently, but we can all come together in this place and share something together and you know feel like we 're all part of a tribe we 're all part of a community, and I needed that in my recovery, you know because addiction is a hugely isolating disease, and um, I knew i couldn 't keep myself isolated. Um, so surrounding myself with other people and putting myself through physical challenges, uh, learning that I'll live through those, but more so in the beginning it was about overcoming the emotional challenges. Right. Um, I could deal with the pain from being tapped out, but in the beginning it was much more difficult to deal with the, with the hit to my ego
2: mm-hmm.
0: because of it. Right. And then dealing with that a hundred times in 60 minutes, you know, um, And overcoming that a 100 times, getting those mental reps in, you know, that's a perfect opportunity, just like meditation, to work on the mind and work on what you tell yourself and work on how you deal with conflict and how you deal with struggle and how you deal with the thoughts of quitting. You know, you learn about yourself and then you push yourself to overcome all those things in one venue. Right. Right. That's so awesome, you know?
1: Yeah, and for me, um, you know, I would you know, I'd get totally lost in in addiction, um and I'd quit going to jujitsu and jujitsu was the one that was like the one thing I was like, I have to get back to it. Like that that whatever I have to do, you know, and however I have to overcome this addiction, I have to get back to jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So you know that it it was really important for me yeah and now that you've overcome um
0: the addiction on the physical, mental, and spiritual level, you're looking to grow in new ways and really find out where your potential is like you you're you're going to Bali soon to investigate yoga school <laughs> right, going to the source uh-huh. and eventually hoping to uh, move out there for a month right right, and train under. Uh, I don't even know Balinese um, yogis, uh, yogis from Bali, yeah. and study really ardently under them for a month. And uh, man, that's going to be quite an intense journey of self-discovery as well.
1: Yeah, th- I think so. Um, and like I say, I really like to throw myself in. You know, to a complete. If I'm going to learn something, I want to learn it. So if I have to, you know, if it's organics, I'm going to go take a. You know a seminar if it's uh or you know i did a, a mushroom growing seminar with paul Stamets in in washington nice and so you know if i'm going to learn something i want to th- throw my entire self into it so th- there's really no better way than to plus it's a paradise there yeah right <laughs> but yeah it's something i want to learn and incorporate and most importantly be able to teach yeah well that's my hope for you
0: my hope for you is that you you go to Bali and you leave behind your cultural programming here. You arrive there with an open mind, open spirit, and that you're able to interact and have conversations with their minds over there, and bring back whatever mm-hmm. knowledge they have to share, uh, and then teach it to us when you get back. Yeah. That's my hope for you. Yeah, and that's my hope for me too because I wanna I wanna know. <laughs> wow, well, you know, it's accessing that greater. Um, knowledge base yeah you know and i'm going to access it through you i access it through every single person i talk to on this podcast and um i really want to thank you for being here today
1: yeah thanks for having me it's always a great time yeah
0: yeah we've covered a lot of topics and a, a lot of really cool stuff so i hope that um, the listeners i hope you all enjoyed that and um again thanks for coming spence thank you um, so I want to remind all of our listeners that we are sponsored by MindOps. You can find us at www.mind-ops.com. Also check out our MindOps YouTube page where we have a number of videos unpacking some of these concepts in greater depth. I also have put together a number of playlists with a, a variety of uh, YouTube video resources for, for you all on a variety of these topics as well, as well as put together by famous philosophers, famous... Uh, Uh, physicians, famous um, uh, therapists, and psychologists, and all sorts of people that I look up to. So check out the YouTube site. And if you like the content um, that you're listening to, you know, spend a couple seconds and please like and share our post. Uh, It really means the world to us. Um, That that helps us out more than anything else, more than donations, more than anything. So please like and share uh, the podcast and also verbally share it with with your friends and family. Uh, That really helps too. If you want to go beyond that and you want to um, support the content that's coming through your ears right now and your perception, you can donate to the podcast. Again, I don't take any profits, so uh, just click on that donation link at the bottom of your podcast app and feel free to donate whatever you feel um, this podcast is worth to you. All proceeds go towards upgrading our systems to get a clearer and better message out to you and hopefully one day be able to fly out some more uh, high-profile people To have on the podcast so thanks again for everybody for listening thanks again to my um my guest spencer and we will talk to you all next time until then have safe internal journeys into your inner space and share the knowledge that you bring back have a good night